Hey everyone, and welcome to Be The Leader You Deserve podcast, where our mission is to inspire you to ask yourself, are you the leader you deserve? Hi, I'm Jill Handley. And I'm Laura Donnelly. And this is season four, episode seven, Reimagining School with Dave Burgess. So last week we talked with Maddie Shepard about project-based learning and the implications it has on reimagining school. And today we are beyond exciting. I mean like through the roof excited to have award-winning author, podcast host, speaker, consultant, and let's face it, educational rock star, Dave Burgess. So we are so excited to have with us today, Dave Burgess, uh, of best-selling author of Teach Like a Pirate and also co-author of P is for Pirate. Um, Dave is also the president of Dave Burgess Consulting, Inc., which delivers powerful, inspirational, and innovative books, keynotes, and professional development. He specializes in teaching hard-to-reach, hard-to-motivate students with techniques that incorporate showmanship and creativity. At a recent ceremony in Washington, D.C., he was awarded the BAMI for Secondary School Teacher of the Year by the Academy of Education, Arts, and Sciences. Dave delivers the ultimate professional development experience for teachers that are perfect for all circumstances, from truly inspirational opening keynotes to full-day hands-on workshops. And if you've read any of his books, you know that that, he certainly delivers. It is a high-energy, interactive, and entertaining experience that will leave you and your staff unbelievably inspired, motivating, and with the practical skills to dramatically increase student achievement. His presentations are a unique blend of outrageously energetic performance, art, and magic, which I know is one of his passions, uh, mixed with an inspirational message of how and why to become more passionate in the classroom. All techniques and methods are modeled and fully explained um, so as not to leave any doubt about how to apply his methods in a real-world practicality perspective. Uh, Participants uh, will leave there with a toolbox full of presentational ideas that they can immediately use to improve their lessons. Um, As a teacher in San Diego, California, um, in 2001 and 2012, Dave was awarded the Golden Apple um, and winner of Grossmont Union High School District and the 2000-2008 Teacher of the Year at West Hills High School. He was voted a faculty standout for 17 consecutive years in categories such as most entertaining, most energetic, and most dramatic. <laughs> so so no, I, I know I've personally benefited from seeing Dave at different conferences and the energy um, and excitement and passion does not disappoint. So Dave, we are so excited and, and humbled to have you with us today. Wow, what an introduction. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so I am super excited to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we, we are going to um, jump right in, you know, uh, Teach Like a Pirate. First of all, the name in of itself, you know, is so catchy. You can't help but want to know more about it. Um, but in that book, um, about, it's about empowering educators. You say um, to sail into uncharted territory with no guarantee of success and reject the status quo. That was so powerful to us because, you know, after the pandemic, So many people, if they aren't, they should be thinking about how can we reimagine school and really challenge the status quo um, to do better for our students based on what we've learned during a pandemic, right? So what are your top three tips for leaders who are considering challenging the status quo to reimage or reimagine their school? Okay, so let's see, top three tips. 
I think one of them would be uh, on one of my podcast episodes, I mentioned the concept of read wide, live wide. And so the idea that maybe the answer is not within your system, maybe the answer is not even within your profession, maybe it's not an education, maybe it's something that you can find outside of education and bring in. And so I always encourage educators and people who want to be innovators to read wide, live wide, and to expose themselves to a wide variety of ideas. And then that's going to give you more ammunition that you could bring back into your school system. So uh, don't assume that the answer is even necessarily within your profession. That would be one of my tips. Another tip would be uh, if you create change and if you do something that's really on the edge, if you do something that's really pushing the envelope a little bit, not everyone's going to like that. Not everyone's going to be happy. And that's okay. <laughs> That's okay. And so you have to have the personal power, the strength of character, character, the intestinal fortitude to do what you to do what you think is right for your students, your teachers, your school system, even in the possible, if not likely face of some criticism from from your some of your peers, maybe the community, maybe uh, outsiders, whatever it might be, but that's okay. And so people that are pushing the edge and doing things that really matter are going to have some people are going to have some, you know, no matter what you call them, haters, trolls, uh, whatever <laughs> it might be. That 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 goes with the territory, and it's probably a sign that you are doing something that's innovative. If you have that, if you, if nobody's upset with what you're doing, it probably means that it's because you're not challenging the status quo. Uh, my third tip would be, I use, I use this analogy, the, I, uh, the snowball, building a snowball analogy. And uh, if you want to change the culture of your system, do something innovative. Um, I tell people it's kind of like building a snowball. Like if you wanted to build a snowball, a giant snowball, if you went out and you tried to grab all the snow up in your arms at one time, what would happen? <laughs> it, would, it would crumble away from you and you would end up with nothing. That's not the way that you build a snowball. The way you build a snowball is you get a little bit in your hands, you pack it tight, you shape it, you mold it. And then when it's tight, you then you add a little bit more and you shape and you mold that. Eventually it gets big enough where you can put it on the ground and you can start to roll it and the snow will stick. And that's how you build a giant snowball. Well, that's the same way that you change the culture of a school is that you, you can't pick up everybody at once. You can't grab them all in at one time. You have to find the people that do want to do something innovative, do want to do something creative, do want to be a part of moving the, the system forward. And you work with them. You shape and mold them. And then the energy and enthusiasm that radiates out from that group starts to attract other people in. Okay. And so if you wait for every single person in your system to buy in before you move forward, you are never going to move forward. It never works like that. Find the people that do want to go with you and go with them. And then, and then eventually that momentum is going to build and you can bring the others along. That is such great advice. And that seems to be a theme that's, that's kind of emerging with our guests this season. Um, I know that, Oh, don't wait for everyone. Um, I'm pretty sure it's what we were talking with with Todd Nesloni um, earlier in the season, and I, I think he, he said something the same way. And I think so often, um, you know, we also talked with Adam Welcome early in the season as well, um, and they both kind of gave that same message of you can't wait until everyone's on board uh, to get going. You also can't expect to make everyone happy. Uh, you know, we talked with Adam a bit about, you know, Brene Brown's work. She talks about, um, you know, the critics. You, you can't worry about what the critics who aren't 
aren't in the arena with you are saying that you just have to move forward. But I love your adage that if you're not, um, if, you know, if, if you're not getting some pushback, then then you're getting a little too settled. And so I think that's such a great takeaway. We're, we're in the midst as practitioners of kind of reimagining our current school and, and kind of pushing the envelope a little bit. So that's that's not only great advice for our listeners, but that's great advice for Laura and I as, as leaders as well. So thank you for that. Absolutely. So in part one of your book, um, um, Teach Like a Pirate, you talk about the importance of having passion and you kind of break it down into three categories to help educators become uh, what you call an unstoppable passion monster. So in my opinion, passion is a must for effective leaders, especially those who are looking to reimagine school. Can you kind of share your advice about how one becomes a passion monster? Absolutely. So I call this the deep, dark secret. Of the educators have, right? And so the deep dark secret is that, so we have this, everyone says, you have to be passionate about your work. You have to be passionate. You have to bring passion into your system. If you can't pa find passion for what you do for your work, then by God, find new work. And like people get you all fired up and excited, right? Uh, but they never tell you how. <laughs> they, they just say it's something that you have to have. And here's the deep dark secret. Even though we know we're supposed to be passionate about our work, um, <laughs> We are not passionate about everything that we do. We're not passionate about everything that we teach. We're not passionate about every single part of our job description. Okay. And so what do you, well, what do you do on those days? And that's why I did. I broke the passion into three categories. The one is your content passion. And I would also put job description passion in that too. Like if you're a teacher, there's certain parts of your content that maybe you're really passionate about. If you're a leader, maybe there's certain parts of your job description you're passionate about. Um, so that's one part, but that's not going to be everything, right? We all know we have those days where we're doing stuff we don't want to do. So where else can you bring passion from? And the other two categories, one, one is your professional passions. So what is it about what you do completely outside of your content or your job description that bring, that makes you on fire about your work? So as a teacher, outside of your content, what makes you on fire about just being a teacher, being an educator? It might be about embracing that life change, that that mightier purpose of being a life changer, for example, and the fact that you have this you have this great impact on young people and help them reach their, and fulfill their potential, right? And so, even if the content standard doesn't appeal to you that day, you can always get excited about the, that life-changing impact you have on kids. So always looking to embrace those professional passions. And then the third area is personal passions. So what is it completely outside of your of education that you're passionate about? And how can you use that to bring passion into your school day? And so there's this kind of belief sometimes in education or any work, basically, that you kind of draw this line. Like, here's my personal life. Here's my professional life. And I do not let the two mix, right? And I think that's such a mistake. What's unique about you, your particular strengths and talents, your voice that you add to what you do, that's what makes you most powerful and effective. So I always try to encourage people to bring some of their personal passions into what they do at work. Like, I, um, I'm trying to bring more of myself into my work. I don't want to just unplug myself when I walk into my job, right? I want to try to combine and mix those two. So that's kind of the three areas of passion and combining those three together are really how you become that passion monster. 
Yeah, I know that when people try to separate the two, that gets exhausting, right? Because it's almost like you're living a double life. You're you're this one person when you're in the schoolhouse, and then you're this completely different person at home. And and having to, you know, I think everything we do requires a little bit of code switching. But when you're trying, when those two don't ever kind of collide with one another, that is exhausting for people to try to keep them separate. I agree. I mean, there's kind of some people can sense a little like inauthenticity in that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you know, coming to every role in your life authentically and as your true self uh, is, is something that I think is going to make you a more powerful person. Well, and kids read that, right? They, I mean, they read sincerity more than better than they read anything else. Well, kids have the greatest BS detectors in the history of the world. Yeah, so you, you, yeah, it's very difficult to be inauthentic for any stretch of time with a group of students, and so it's it's uh, it's best to to always bring your real self. Well, and I think that bleeds over into culture as well, not just necessarily with your students. But Absolutely. Culture. So you specialize in teaching hard to reach, hard to motivate students. What are some of the strategies that you use with students that you have found to be equally successful when leading adults? Okay, so this is, I believe that a lot of the strategies are exactly the same because um, contrary to some, uh, some belief, students and adults uh, are, are both, they, they share this thing called uh, being human, <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and so um, it, what appeals to one appeals to the other. I have this, there's this phrase in like a little acronym in the sales and marketing world is W-I-I-F-M. Basically, it stands for what's in it for me, okay? And it sounds like maybe a selfish perspective, but that's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of people look at the world that way. When you are being, when someone's trying to bring information to you, and you can assume that in the back of their head, they're thinking, what's in it for me, right? And, uh, and that means creating relevance. So we want to try to make our material relevant for students because we know that they're thinking what's in it for me. Same thing as like a professional development for teachers. How many times do teachers want to know like, when am I ever gonna use this? Why is why do I have to go to this meeting? Why, what's, what does this professional development have to do with my curriculum or what I'm teaching? And if it doesn't, they feel upset by that or maybe they kind of check out as they should, right? As they should. Well, if that's okay for an educator to be thinking, I want to be shown how this is relevant for what I do, it's just as well. It's just as okay for a student to be thinking that as well. And so, I think it always goes back to making sure what we're doing with kids or with adults is relevant for them. I love that because you're right. Everybody, every human wants to be motivated by the relevance to themselves. So, I think that's that is so true. Something to keep in mind for us for sure. Um, in season two, we talked a lot about the idea of failing forward and the importance of modeling this as a leader. In Teach Like a Pirate, you say, if you haven't failed in the classroom lately, you aren't pushing the envelope far enough. Safe lessons are the recipe for mediocrity at best. I love that so much, yes. by the way. Like, like I want the t-shirt that does that. <laughs> as a leader, how do you develop a culture of risk takers? Yeah, and so this is... Um, 
like sometimes people will talk to me about like well, some of the hooks in the book maybe are feel a little bit outside of their comfort zone. They're not. And, and I'll say, well, OK, wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> this is good. Like all progress is found outside of your comfort zone. <laughs> and so if you're never uncomfortable, then you're not growing. It's like when you go to the weight room or involved in some sort of fitness program. If you are if you never put if everything is easy. <laughs> then you're not going to grow, right? It's the idea when you push yourself past a certain point, that's when they, they talk about like in, in um, if you're doing strength training, most of the gains come from the last couple reps, those reps that you don't want to do, right? That's where the gains come actually. The rest is just getting up to that point and then the real gains come at the end. And I think that's the same true with innovation is it's going to be uncomfortable. If it's not uncomfortable, then it's probably not, maybe it's not very innovative, right? But here's the, here's the key for leaders. It's very... Um, politically correct right now to say that you you're in favor of risk-taking and innovation okay like that's those are kind of buzzwords and everyone say oh yeah i want risk takers i want innovators but here's the here's the bottom line we don't really know if you're in favor of risk-taking and innovation until we see how you react when someone fails mm -hmm. that's when we really know it's easy to say i love risk takers when you're talking about like the superstars on your on your campus that are doing amazing things and all and they're successful and all that stuff how do you react when someone falls on their face how do you react when somebody does try something creative and it's a complete disaster that's when we really know do you come in in an evaluated an evaluative and judgmental way um do you come in in a way that makes them feel less than like they messed up they screwed up and now they're like in some some sort of trouble or do you come in, in a way that is supportive and celebrates the risk celebrates the courage that it took them to try something new like oh my gosh this is so incredible that you tried that i know it didn't work out this time but like how can i support you in moving forward to like make this work because that was i'm so proud of how courageous you were at trying something new right so if you come in and celebrate courage and risk taking and then offer yourself as a support as a as opposed to being judgmental and more of evaluative in nature then you're going to see more risk taking in your system if you come in the other with the other mentality you will see less risk taking in your system so it doesn't matter what you say how do you react when people fail I think that um, everybody includes yourself as well and I know I've been um, particularly guilty with saying just what you've said, like risk, you know, take risk. And I feel like I'm really great at supporting our staff and taking risks and being that support where I failed was when I went to take my own risk and it failed, my own reaction in front of the staff was not so great. You know, I'm saying like, take risk, fail forward. And then something I tried didn't go so well. And I was like, are you kidding me? What the heck is going on here? And so I'm so thankful to have an accountability partner like Laura, who was like, <laughs> remember, Jill, we're working on failing forward. <laughs> so I think that uh, that what you say and what you do also applies to um your own self. Wouldn't you agree with that, Dave? Absolutely. Accountability partners are so amazing. They're so incredible. <laughs> I have lots of accountability partners too for, for the business side of things, also for like the fitness and wellness side of things, all that you have to have an accountability partner. But what you're saying about the being hard to do yourself, that I had this situation come up recently with the starting of my podcast, The Dave Burgess Show. And I, it is actually in my 
presentations, the idea that, you know, be prolific, not perfect. Don't let perfectionism <laughs> stop you from putting work into the world, like ship things. And, you know, it's going to be, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to turn out right at first, but, you know, you're going to iterate on it and it's going to get better and better. Then it was, as soon as it was time for me to put my podcast out, I was like, stuck in perfectionism like, <laughs> i can't i can't get the sound right like why is this louder than that and how come the music is distorted and i was about ready i, I was about ready to stop and quit and then it's like wait a second i teach this stuff i talk about this stuff like if someone came to me with what i with my like with my inner dialogue right now i would be like giving them such a lecture about not letting perfectionism stopping them from putting their work into the world but then look at me i'm letting i'm doing the same thing so it could be it's in my book it's in, <laughs> it's in my keynote right i do it every single week i talk to people about this and there i was stuck in the same trap and so it's so easy to do that yeah, for sure. You know, it, it's funny. I listened to you and I don't know if you're familiar with Enneagrams or not, but in season one, we did this whole thing with Enneagrams. Um, are you familiar with Enneagrams? I know this isn't one of the questions yeah. we were going to ask but while we're I, talking. I'm familiar with them and everyone's been asking me lately to, to figure mine out. And so <laughs> I will, I haven't taken, I haven't gone through the, uh, the test yet to figure out what I am, but I am familiar with them. Well, when you figure it out, I'll be looking for your tweet that announces that so I can follow back or, you know, circle back around with you to kind of see what that, because I have some, some predictions of my own. I'll hold off on that because we don't want to, you know, have any bias or influence that. But yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting once you find out, but just listening to you, um, I, I have some suspicions on, on what yours, <laughs> what you, what number you are. So, um, speaking of Twitter, Dave, you inspire educators all over the world. And as a result, you have developed a massive professional learning network on Twitter. So one of the ways that you engage with others is through your hashtag TLAP chats. Can you tell us a little bit more about those um, and why others should join those and Twitter in general um, if they haven't already? Yeah, so I think becoming a connected educator was a game changer for me. And it can be a game changer for lots of people. There, no matter what it is that you're into in education, there's a place where people are connecting, gathering together, collaborating, sharing ideas and best practices, and just uplifting and empowering each other. Now, it doesn't have to be Twitter, right? It could be, it doesn't have to be any particular social media network but find some place, some space where you can go and connect and collaborate with other people. And for me, Twitter is one of the main ones. Um, um, I, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on, I'm, I'm various places, but for sure, Twitter is probably the biggest following. And one of the ways that you can find people is through hashtags, okay? To me, a hashtag is a community, okay? Um, and the, the story I tell on this sometimes is the story of the Grateful Dead. And so Jerry Garcia, I heard Jerry Garcia be interviewed about this. And the Grateful Dead was this band that toured around, did you know, show after show after show. And a group of people began to follow them called the Deadheads. And the Deadheads were not someone or not people that would go to like one show and be done. Uh, like we typically think about concerts today. The Deadheads would actually travel around like basically behind them, like a, a caravan almost, and set up tents and, you know, their, their artwork and all, all their wares at the different shows. It was like a traveling community that was following the Grateful Dead. And he was asked about this incredible phenomenon of this, these people that like these deadheads. And he said, okay, it's not about us. It's not about the music. It's not, it's not about our music even, right? 
It's about what we have done is we've created a space for people to come together to ritualize. We have created a space where people who maybe feel like there's the, they're alone in the world, that there's not others that are like them, a place that they can come and say, oh, there are others like me. Like I'm not alone in all of this. And there's a place where they can all come together and be inspired, lift each other up and, and ritualize. Well, that's the way that I see like the TLAP hashtag and the TLAP chat is maybe you're in your school system and your ideas are seen as crazy. Maybe people are always making fun of you because you're so passionate about being an educator. Maybe people don't understand why you're spending uh, you know, all this creative energy and time coming up with these, uh, these lessons for students that are just like uh, unbelievable, right? Well, there are other people like you, though. And so TLAP is a place that you can go to and find people to ritualize with, find people to collaborate with, connect with. And so that's kind of how I see that. It's not about me. It's not about my book. It stands for Teach Like a Pirate, but it's not about Teach Like a just about Teach Like a Pirate. I might be hosting it on many weeks, but it's not about me. As Jerry Garcia said, he said, it's not, they just happen to have the best seat at the uh, show because they're on the stage, but it's really about the whole community. And that's how I see Twitter. That's how I see TLAP is it's about the community. and It's about all of us coming together and finding a space to ritualize. Yeah, it really is amazing. Um, and <clears throat> Laura and I are particularly drawn to Twitter just because the professional networking that goes on, because you're right, you know, no matter how great your own school is, no matter how great your own district is, it's so nice to connect with other people, either in education or not, um, typically in education for us, who are, you know, grappling with some of the same things or have a different approach to something that you're wanting to work on. Um, and just the networking that we've been able to do and the ideas that we've gained and the relationships that we've built, you know, have really empowered us as leaders. But also we've been able to take some of those those ideas back to our own school and, you know, it gets to the desk of our students. So that's that's super exciting. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I just would really encourage people to um, try to find those spaces where they can connect. And if on Twitter, I'm at Burgess Dave. Feel free to connect with me on Twitter. Instagram, I'm at DBC underscore INC. There you have to also put up with some fitness posts and things like that. But, <laughs> but, but also education. <laughs> So Dave, you are such a busy person. You do so much. Um, in addition to just the things that you do in your work life, your personal life, it sounds like you're super busy as well. But we often talk about the importance of self-care and finding a work-life balance. So um, like I said, and you're, you're super busy. You're an educational leader. You're an award-winning author. You're a podcast host. You're a speaker. You're the head of your consulting company. Um, you're a devoted husband and father. You're, it sounds like you're an athlete. I could probably go on and on. So Talk to our listeners about what do you do for self-care and how do you help find that work-life balance for yourself? Yeah, so there's this thing, I call it the danger of never being done. And it's a trap that educators fall into. And um, like, when was the last time you heard a teacher say, I've actually got everything all set for the next few weeks? <laughs> like, you would never hear something like that, right? No. There's, always, there's always something more we could do. Okay, you can never be done as an educator. There's always something more you could do. And plus, we know how important what we do is. And those two things that sets up, uh, it's a dangerous combination because it makes us feel guilty at time that we spend outside of education. But every time I've honored my outside passions, every time I've been willing to develop new ones, it's always come back to inform my teaching and my, my different roles, right? And so not only has it given me um, more energy 
when I, when I, when I can unplug from education and go do other things that I am better and more able to be at my, my best self when I come back to education or come back to my work, but also it gives me creative ammunition from other areas of life to draw back in. That's like back to that whole, like read wide, live wide kind of thing. Right. And so never feel guilty about time that you spend outside of education because it's only going to help you in the long run. And for me, for example, one of my ways that I maintain this is, uh, you know, through this, through fitness movement, uh, getting out and whether it's running or working out or whatever it might be, and um, one of the concepts I talk to people about a lot is people will say, well, you, your, your schedule is so incredibly busy. How do you fit? Uh, how do you fit that in? How do you fit that run in or that workout in? And it always goes back to Seth Godin told this story on one of his podcasts about a woman who was, you know, one of the busiest people he knew. She had multiple professions. She had ran a business. She had a family. She had all these different things. She swam every single day, 365 days a year. She went on a swim and she would often be asked, how do you fit in your swim? <laughs> and she would say, no, 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 you, you don't, you don't understand how this works. I don't fit in my swim. I do my swim. Everything else has to fit in around it. Okay. And so that's how I see self-care. Self-care isn't something that you jam in at the end of the day. Self-care should go, that goes in, that goes in. You, you should create these, these spaces in your life for self-care, wellness, fitness, whatever it is for you, right? Your hobbies. And then everything else fits in around that. But you can't let, you can't drain your battery and not be able to uh, be successful at your work because you've tried to jam in self-care. Self-care goes in. Everything else fits around it. I think that's such a great strategy because yes. I think you're right. 99.9% .9 of the people self-care is the last thing to try to quote unquote squeeze into your schedule you know we've talked to our listeners about schedule it um but more importantly than schedule it make it a priority on your schedule make it the schedule yeah absolutely and then because if you don't you know what happens with life i mean life, life tends to grow and fill in every single possible space it can right um and so if you don't have it scheduled in there, if it's not a priority, it's, it's not going to happen. And one of the, I think one of the key strategies for me and, you know, different people do it at different times of the day and that's fine. But for me, it's the concept of winning the morning. I try to win the morning. If I can win the morning, then the rest of my day is going to go fine. So as, as much as possible, I try to get that done in the morning. I love that. I have a difficult time getting mine done in the morning, but if I can, I always feel so much better throughout the day. And I love that um, the way that you describe self-care, it's not something you do. It is what you do. And then everything else fits in. Yeah. I love that yeah. when the morning too, wow, yes. because that really does set your day off into such a positive tone. If you, if you look at it through that lens. Absolutely. So in addition to authoring your own books, you are such an advocate for others. So we have to ask, what are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? <laughs> okay. So, um, obviously always on my nightstand are the latest books from Davis consulting. So the, the last the ones I'm reading right now, you are poetry, um, which is written by Mike Johnston talking about having kids and adults embrace their inner poets and becoming poets and how to teach poetry, um, across the curriculum. And then also beyond the surface of restorative practices by, uh, Marisol R Rerucha about, um, 
the importance of restorative practices in school systems and also just in relationships in life. So those are my latest two reads for Daybird's Consulting. And then I'm also uh, kind of going back through a group, uh, a trilogy of books from Ryan Holiday on Stoicism. So he has three fantastic books, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, and Stillness is Key, about the Stoic philosophy applied to modern life. And so that's another thing that's on my nightstand right now is working through these books on stoicism. I don't think I've heard of those, but stillness is key. I, that, that intrigued me. I need to check those out. Yeah, I think you would love it. So the last question that we have for you is something that we ask all of our guests, um, not only on the podcast, but we actually um, ask this in interviews in person for our building as well. So it's one of our favorite things to ask. What are three words that others who know you would use to describe you? Hmm. Uh, I'll say relentless. Um. So this, I'm trying to think what the word would be for this. Um, I'm going to use two words in one. Okay. Uh, surprisingly introverted. <laughs> so people see the presentations and people see that, that side of me. Right. And they think that like, I'm just some like, wild and crazy guy. That's like, <laughs> you know, and then they, then they go maybe like have a meal with me or hang out with me afterwards. And they're like, Oh my gosh, this is the most calm, relaxed, and like introverted person I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and so, um, so that I think that would probably be one of them. And um, hmm. um wow, I'm gonna use that as my second and third. Surprising, <laughs> surprising, surprising and introverted. I wouldn't have guessed introverted. Neither would I. So to your point, that public perception is everything, I guess, for people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, Dave, we've really enjoyed you being with us today. So you've mentioned a little bit about um, some of your, like your Twitter handle and your IG um, name as well. But if people want to, uh, you know, get your books or read more about you or, you know, reach out about your consulting, what's the best way to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, so my website is daveburgess.com and my podcast is The Dave Burgess Show. Uh, find it anywhere you get your podcast. And then, yeah, Twitter again is at Burgess Dave, Instagram at DBC underscore INC. Um, I'm also on Facebook and any of those places. I would absolutely love to connect with your listeners and uh, continue the conversation. Yeah, that sounds great. And we will list all of those contacts in our show notes just so that everyone has access to that. So, well, Dave, as always, everything I, you know, when I see you, when I read your stuff, everything is so inspiring and just makes me want to go and do more. So I know our listeners will feel the exact same way. So thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, we appreciate your time. It was an absolute pleasure to be on the show. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Have a great weekend. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. <laughs> Today, we learned so much from chatting with Dave and look forward to continuing to learn from him and implement his engaging strategies. If you enjoyed this episode, Reimagining School with Dave Burgess, please share it with your friends by using the social media buttons you see at the bottom of the post. We would love to know what your biggest takeaways are from today's episode, so send us a message on Twitter or tag us in a post using the, the hashtag, Be the Leader You Deserve. 
If this is your first episode or if you have not listened to the entire first, second, or third seasons, we would love to know what you think. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts to get automatic episode updates for our View the Leader You Deserve. And don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. On all of those pages, we give you frequent updates, quotes, and inspiration to carry you through the week. Jill and I also post on our own personal accounts, so be sure to check those out as well. And finally, please take a minute to leave us an honest review and rating on Apple Podcasts. They really help us out when it comes to the ranking of the show, and we make it a point to read every single one of the reviews that we get. Have a great week, and don't forget to ask yourself, am I the leader I deserve, and what am I doing about it?